Welcome to the 246th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Steve Bergsman, author of the nonfiction book, I Put a Spell on You, The Bizarre Life of Screaming Jay Hawkins. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Steve Bergsman, author of the new biography, I Put a Spell on You, The Bizarre Life of Screaming Jay Hawkins. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Oh, glad to be here. How are you, Jeff? I'm good. I'm good. For those listeners who aren't familiar with Screaming Jay Hawkins, can you briefly describe who he was and kind of where he fits into rock and roll and pop culture history? Sure, sure. So, uh, Screamer Jay Hawkins, uh, his heyday was in the the 1950s. He's best known for the song "I Put a Spell on You," which has been in countless TV shows and movies. It's been recorded uh, by Nina Simone, by Creedence Clearwater Revival, and probably 500 other people. Rolling Stone magazine listed as. Uh, one of the 500 uh, most important rock songs ever. And Screamin' Jay uh, should be known for other things. He was very, had a very bizarre stage act. And uh, one of the things he did uh, before singing the song, he would come out of a coffin and then sing, I put a spell on you. He often dressed up uh, bizarrely, he had a, a bone hanging from his nose. And he, he was uh, the, uh, the wildest, weirdest cat in the 50s. And there probably wouldn't be a, a, a Kiss or a Alice Cooper or um, even uh, the crazy world of Arthur Brown in the UK if there wasn't uh, before them a Screaming Jay Hawkins. Um, and so it's rumored that when he recorded I Put a Spell on You, which uh, I think it was released in 56. Was it recorded in 56? Uh, I believe so. It was um, uh, they were pretty quick on turnaround sure, back then. Sure. So, so um, it, it's rumored that when he recorded the original version that he was uh, actually drunk in the studio. Is, is, that, is that accurate? And what can you tell us about the recording of um, his trademark song, I Put a Spell on You? Well, the, there was an original uh, recording before that on a small label, and it was a basic ballad, you might say, sort of romantic ballad, I put a spell on you. But uh, Screaming Jay signs with a new label, they bring him in, and the uh, the, the production, uh, the, the person who headed production uh, wasn't happy, he, he, need, he felt the uh, the band and he had a first-class band behind him, a lot of uh, really uh, A-quality players, including uh, Mickey Baker, who was later famous for uh, Mickey and Sylvia, uh, Love is Strange. So uh, they bring in uh, uh, dinner, fried chicken, and loads and loads of, uh, of beer or uh, liquor. Um, the stories get wilder and wilder. And in fact, uh, apparently the musicians got wilder and wilder as well. And they uh, uh, recorded the, the, this crazy version of I Put a Spell on You with uh, 
Screaming Jay grunting and groaning and having all these, making all these weird sounds. So it was, uh, it was something beyond uh, just a song. And this is the song they recorded. Uh, allegedly, there was barely a man standing by the end of that recording. <laughs> and um, there's different, Screamer Jay, as with everything in his life, tells 30 different versions of everything. But most of the versions really come back to, uh, they were well liquored up, and uh, uh, it, it was a wild recording. And so you said it originally came out as a ballad, and then they re-recorded it in this in this um, session, um, as you just recounted. Um, tell tell me about when it was released. I mean, was it an immediate hit? No, it's one of the oddest records ever because it was a bestseller, but because of the grunts and groans, uh, a lot of radio stations wouldn't play it. So it was really kind of a bestseller by word of mouth as opposed to radio station play at the time. That's how you can uh, you can tell the popularity, more or less, besides sale, was uh, radio station play. Now, of course, it's, it's streaming and other ways to tell whether you're a bestseller. But we're back in the mid-50s now, and it was radio station play, and a lot of stations banned the record. But... Uh, People heard it, recommended it to other people, and uh, it became, over time, slowly, a, a best-selling record. Sure. And as we, um, as you alluded to earlier, um, it, it has subsequently been re-recorded by numerous other musicians, including Credence Clearwater Revival, Brian Ferry, The Animals, and many others. I'm just curious, I mean, given your work on the, on the uh, biography, what is it about this song that captures people's attention, do you think? It's, uh, you know, if you listen to the original song and, and, and this crazy version that scre uh, by Screaming Jay Hawkins, you wouldn't think it was such a, uh, an adaptable song. But Nina Simone, if you hear Nina Simone's version, and it was a uh, best-selling record in the UK, um, her version of I Put a Spell on You, it is very bluesy and, and sultry. When Creedence Clearwater took it on, it became sort of a, a swamp rock uh, kind of record. And so uh, depending on your take, it really uh, can be used for in, in, in for any sort of creating any, any sort of atmosphere, which is why it appears in, in, in so many movies and television shows. Sure. And so, so tell us a little bit about Screaming Jay. I mean, what, first of all, was his name Jay Hawkins? Um, and then also, um, can you give us a little bit of a background about who he was before he recorded this, uh, this song, um, kind of his, his early years and, and childhood? Sure. So he was uh, uh, born in Cleveland, and he was uh, put up for foster care by his mother, and um, he was raised uh, in foster care by this woman. Uh, he didn't move from foster care to foster care. He was with this woman throughout his uh, early years. And uh, uh, she's the one that uh, paid for his, uh, his piano lessons. And 
after uh, at, when he became of age, he, he, he went into the service and stayed for a number of ter uh, terms in the service. He, he, he got out at, uh, in the around 5051, I think. He was in for about six years. So the weird thing about Screaming Jay uh, is that he had a hard time with the truth. Matter of fact, it, it was difficult for him to to tell the truth. If if, if no matter if you were a friend, if you were uh, if you were his girlfriend, if you were married to him, if you were doing him favors, if you were a reporter, uh, if you wanted to put him in a book and, and talk to him, he would always tell some bizarre story. So the most bizarre stories he he began telling was about his days in the service when he uh, either helped win World War II or uh, win the Korean War. <laughs> so he, he often got lost which war he was actually winning. He told so many stories. But he, he really never, as uh, far as I could tell, he was never in battle. And he was uh, in, in the entertainment unit, actually. But if you, heard, if you ever heard any of his stories, and, and, and he told these stories often, uh, he, he, he um, you know, jumped in uh, fire pits. He, he shot people. He was captured. They, they half blew his head off. He was wild with these stories. And he never stopped telling them to, the, to his final day. Uh, the other the other stories that came out of it, he was a boxer and uh, uh, um, you would hear that he was uh, this great amateur boxer and he won all sorts of uh, uh, medals and recognition. And uh, he, he was probably a boxer, but those stories are fabrications as well. Sure. So he comes to um, after the service, he comes back to Cleveland uh, and he hears on the radio this jive-talking DJ playing uh, the, the best R&B songs out there. Not just Frank Sinatra. He's not playing Frank Sinatra. Matter of fact, he's not playing Frank Sinatra. He's not playing Vic Damone. He's not playing Johnny Ray. He's playing hardcore rhythm and blues on the radio. And it was Alan Freed. And he goes and, and, and Screaming Jay says... I got to meet this guy. Uh, who is this guy, Alan Freed? And he goes to the radio station, says hello. And um, and Alan Freed uh, remembers him because later on when Screaming Jay has his record, I put a spell on you, Alan Freed would help him out. So Alan Freed, many, many people call the father of, uh, of rock and roll and that he coined the phrase rock and roll. But rock and roll was an old rhythm blues expression, so we can't really give him any credit there. But we can say that Alan Freed created the first rock and roll concert. Sure. He had, you know, he had this great show, and he decided to uh, uh, put on a concert with all these R&B singers. And the way he, he did it, what he, he had a, a, a list of maybe 10 acts. And uh, um, so he puts on this concert one night in Cleveland. Uh, Limited. Uh, there was limited seating in the in the auditorium, but twenty thousand people showed up trying to crash this concert, and uh, the Cleveland uh, Police Department panicked. And after the first song, they closed down the concert. 
So uh, not only did he create, uh, did uh, Alan Freed invent the first rock and roll concert, he invented the first rock and roll concert riot. <laughs> anyway, one of the performers, the headline performers, was this guy, uh, uh, Tiny. Uh, oh, I can't. Um, I'm sorry. It, 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 That's okay. It, 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 it's, it's important. It's, it's important, but the, the name skips me now. Okay. Okay. And um, at the concert, uh, apparently, Screaming Jay goes to the concert, meets uh, 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 the singer, and when the singer leaves town going back to New York, Screaming Jay goes with him. Leaves his family. Now, he's married, has three kids. He just walks away. So, um, uh, so he's now in New York, and um, he's with this, this singer, I'll just call him Tiny because the, right. the rest of it uh, skips me. Yep. Anyway, uh, he, uh, a rhythm and blues singer, uh, a jazz performer, uh, uh, this, uh, this fellow. And, uh, but he comes up with this gimmick. There's five African-American singers in his band. Uh, and he brings in, uh, uh, one of them is now Screaming Jay Hawkins. And they sing the Scottish folk classic Lac Lamond. And they dress up in, in kilts, in, in, in plaids. They wear tam uh, They dress up as Scottish as you can imagine. And they sing Lac Lamond, and it became a hit. And uh, 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 nobody was offended. Um, five African Americans all dressed up as Scots, uh, and they performed this this wild, wild show. And one might say this is where Screaming Jay got the idea that that uh, you know the wilder the show, uh, the better, uh, you know, the better the performance, and uh, probably. Uh, an excitement for the crowd. Sure. And and after after he became a a, a hit recording star, <laughs> uh, Screaming Jay, his shows were always wilder and wilder than the one before. And is he that had, is that stage ahead. persona? Is that something that he crafted himself? I mean, I know that you mentioned earlier about having this bone, um, you know, sometimes like hanging from his nose. Uh, he would wear these wild outfits and suits and have various voodoo-inspired props. Is that something that he specifically crafted himself? That's That was all Screaming Jay. I, I'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who looked like that and tried to perform like that um, before Screaming Jay. He, had this, he always had this cane with a skull on it. Uh, and the skull had a personality. His name was Henry. So there was always the skull and the cane. He had smoke bombs. He had the coffin. Sometimes he had these crazy wild outfits, always had a cape. Um, so it's definitely a precursor to Kiss. Oh, way, yeah, yeah. Like I said, Kiss, uh, yeah. Alice Cooper, any of exactly. those other yeah. crazy acts uh, right. in the 60s and 70s, um, it was all before them. Right. Um, and given that his most popular recording, I Put a Spell on You, was recorded and released in 1956, 
Uh, what was his life as a musician like after that? Did he keep performing and playing live? And was he releasing albums throughout the years? What, what was what was his life like? It was uh, the life of a a an R and B singer uh, from the 1950s. If if you drop out uh, the big headliners, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, or uh, Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, you drop out those names. Really, everybody else struggled. Uh, you, you didn't get paid much. You were often ripped off. And um, it was hard to maintain your place on the record charts. And once you, you were off the record charts, um, it, it was a tough life. If you were lucky, you, you got on the big shows, the Alan Freed shows, later the Dick Clark shows, where they would have 10, 15 performers and but it was uh, you were out you were out for six months on a on a trunk tour, uh, traveling around the country by bus. Otherwise, you had you know you were playing small clubs. You didn't have these big arenas. You played sure. small clubs, and it, it was a, a a difficult life. And and he, and he struggled. And there were times where he was uh, very much in, impoverished, uh, barely barely living. Uh, you know, living out of single room occupancies, SROs, uh, you know, it's one room right. with a hot plate. That was his life. And wasn't he living in Europe at some point and performing? He did. He had a various, uh, use a, to use a Screaming Jay word, he had various resurrections. His career had various resurrections. And uh, somewhere uh, uh, in the late 70s uh, and 80s, he was sort of rediscovered. You know, we had the punk movement going on and and and, and post-punk rock, and they sort of accepted Screamin' Jay uh, as a precursor to what they were doing. So he was getting better gigs. And um, in Europe, uh, they never forgot the old rhythm of blues singers. In Europe, these people were very, very important. So all these uh, singers, uh, the R&B singers from the 50s and the 60s, uh, a lot of them had second, uh, second wind to their career by just playing in Europe. And, and eventually, uh, Screamin' Jay went to Europe and, and stayed there. He, ma- he, uh, he married his fourth wife, who was French, and he, he lived in France, in Paris, France, for a while. Matter of fact, his sixth wife he met in Paris as well. When, when you were researching the book, are, are there anecdotes or things that you discovered about Screamin' Jay's life or his music that surprised you and that you didn't know about before you started your research? Well, uh, I, I should add that the second most famous uh, Screamin' Jay record, besides I Put a Spell on You, is a song called Constipation Blues. And it's well known... Not because it's such a great record. It's well known because it's such a gross record. And the subject of the song is constipation. And in particular, Screamin' Jay's bout of constipation. And to liven it up, he makes all the appropriate grunts and noises as someone who is sitting on the toilet having a bout of constipation. And he would play this, 
was in his live performance. It was uh, it was always a crowd pleaser. But sometimes he'd be in in clubs with older people, uh, and then he would just play it to bother other you know, bother the audience. So he didn't he didn't care. So that was a screaming Jay. Uh, he always uh, he often had a scam going on. So um, he, he'd go up, he'd, uh, he'd have a show, and uh, if the show was sold out, he would get there and say, uh, I didn't get my money. Now, the operator of the, the venue would say, well, we paid you already. Well, we paid you half of it. And he'd say, I never got, he'd say, I never got my money. Well, what are you going to do? You have a, a club filled with people waiting for Screamin' Jay. And they dig up some money and pay them. So uh, you get paid twice for, for a performance. <laughs> the other thing uh, about him, and I mentioned he couldn't tell the truth. So uh, stories, stories he, he would tell. He, would, he, he had uh, three siblings. In later stories, it was seven siblings. He'd have stories about his parents. He, he would create any story uh, that there was. But... He, uh, people who played with him uh, tell uh, stories about uh, he'd fight with everybody. He was uh, for many years he was a bit of an alcoholic uh, and drugs uh, before he stopped. And and he and he'd show up. He'd fight with people on the venue if 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 uh, if they were uh, you know if they were closing the show, which is the top spot. Screaming Joe, Screaming Jay would fight with them. I want to be, you know, I should be in the top spot. There was always an argument, always a fight. And and, and I, one anecdote I, I I have in the book is he he shows up at a, a venue in New Jersey, a club. Uh, the guy comes out to greet him. Screaming Jay looks up at the marquee. They misspell his name as Harkins. The guy comes up to to to. Uh, to say hi to, to uh, Screaming Jay, Screaming Jay pulls a gun and points it at his head and says, change the marquee. <laughs> he had uh, uh, another anecdote is that uh, uh, he was on a, a playing a small club. This is in the 80s. There was a 60s group called the Critters. Uh, and they were closing the show, well, which was appropriate because the Critters were, were from... New Jersey, but Screamin' Jay thought he should close the show, and there was a raving argument between him and the other band. So the other band says, fine, okay, we've had it with you. You can close the show. So the critters get out, uh, do their one or two big hits, and leave. The uh, Screamin' Jay uh, uh, and his band come out to perform. There's no sound coming out of the PA system. Uh, and going, what's going on? What's going on? Well, the critters, before they left, they took all the, the tubes or the mechanisms out of the uh, of the, the, the sound box. The speakers. Speakers. I'm sorry. Yeah. So uh, there, was no, there was no sound to the club. They were just getting even. Yep. So I can, so only, I can only assume, given everything that you've said, that he probably did not see 
the financial rewards from the millions of, of albums and covers of I Put a Spell on You? I, I, it was hard to pin down, but uh, according to the anecdotal evidence that I found, he, at some point he sold the rights uh, yep. to, to I Put a Spell on You. So it, it, what, what could have been uh, uh, money in the bank for him at some point, he probably sold needed the money yep. and sold it off. Got it. So, so he, go there, ahead. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of money, so he had to perform to to live, which is what I I think most most singers have to do today. And so he died in two thousand. What can you tell us about his death? What can I tell you about his death? Uh, he died in Europe. He was married uh, at that point. He was married to his sixth wife who wasn't. Uh, he met her in Paris and she spoke French, but she was actually African. It was it was one marriage too far. He was uh, he was the dominant character in all his marriages, not necessarily someone who uh, was loyal to the wives. Uh, there was you probably probably heard that there was rumors that he had somewhere between 55 and 85 children, uh, which, uh, as far as I could tell, is not true or even near true. Uh, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Can you cut that out? I can. That's fine. Okay. So, uh, so he had, uh, it was rumored they had 55 to 85 children as near as I could tell. Maybe there are 15 children out there uh, um, that that he fathered. He had three by his first marriage and no children by in his other five marriages. So and he had to work so hard for a living, even for Screaming Jay, uh, who was a real womanizer. It would have been hard to get to those crazy numbers people attribute to him. But by his sixth marriage, she was uh, 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 his sixth wife was uh, much, much younger and uh, she would uh, uh, abuse him instead of him abusing his wives, which was alleged. She abused him. And when he died, uh, uh, she took control of whatever he had had left. And some point, uh, I think she got rid of everything he had on eBay. Mm. So that was the sad legacy of, of Screaming Jay Hawkins. Sure. And so, what what drove you to write about Screaming Jay and do this biography? What 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 initially interested you? Well, one of his uh, one of his one of the guys who played in his band in the seventies, a guy named Mike Armando, contacted me via social media. And said, "You really should do a story on Screaming Jay. He was very, very interested, interesting. And I, I initially put it put him off because all I knew of Screaming Jay Hawkins was I put a spell on you, and I thought, well, that's it. That's the only bit of interest about him. But Mike was persistent. And then, uh, as I looked into it, I realized how uh, bizarre and interesting and crazy the guy was." And uh, in some regards, important to the history of rock and roll, 
And that's why I decided to do the biography. And I think, you know, we see a lot of uh, uh, biographies out there uh, now uh, in films, such as uh, the one with Queen that that, uh, that attracted so much attention last year. And we have one on, on Elton John this year. But somebody's going to put to do going to put to to motion pictures the the I put a spell on you screaming Jay Hawk in the biography because in the history of rock and roll there's almost nobody nearly as crazy or interesting. Sure. And so are, are there current musicians or bands that you would point to as kind of in the screaming Jay tradition? Not anymore. But in the '60s, and we mentioned uh, a few of them. There was. First of all, there was a, a fellow in, in England who called himself Screaming Lord Such. And this was in the mid-60s. <laughs> Obviously, he ripped that off from Screaming Jay Hawkins. And then uh, there was a fellow, again, who ripped off the act. Uh, there was a lot, of, always a lot of fire and smoke in, in Screaming Jay's acts at the time. And uh, the singer was Arthur Brown, and his group was called The Crazy World of Arthur Brown. And they had a number one hit called Fire, and, uh, and Crazy World of Arthur Brown had all these pyrotechnics, which, which he really stole from, uh, the idea he stole from Screaming Jay Hawkins. And then, of course, in, at, by the end of the 60s, we had performers who, who dressed up in, in odd outfits, uh, such as Kiss and uh, Alice Cooper, and even to some extent, the early David Bowie, mm-hmm. he always had these outfits and, and nobody was doing that. And nobody had done that really before Screaming Jay Hawkins. Uh, so then, then people sort of got out of that habit of, of uh, really creating these shows. Now, I, I think if you go to a show and, and you see one of the uh, performers like Lady Gaga or, or or any of the uh, hot female performers now, they put on a, uh, not just a concert, they put on a full show. It's almost like Las Vegas now. Right. You, you go to see them sing. So I don't know. I, I would hate to attribute that to Screaming Jay, but uh, it's not just, you know, the band gets out there and, and strums their guitars and, 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 and sings. Now you have to see a performance. And one of the first, performers who realized that was Screaming Jay Hawkins. Great. Well, on that note, I'll just say we've been speaking with Steve Bergsman, the author of I Put a Spell on You, The Bizarre Life of Screaming Jay Hawkins. The book is in bookstores now, so go grab a copy. And Steve, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, it was great fun. Thank you very much for calling, Jeff. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.